Word of God to the first epistle of John, where we will continue this series of uh, through the epistle where John seeks to help Christians know that they have eternal life. This evening, we will be looking especially at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, this warning against worldliness that John gives us as, as he seeks to build up Christians and, and teach them how God would have them to live and these marks which identify them as the people of God. I'll begin reading this evening in, in verse 7. I believe this will give us some good context and, and show us some uh, interesting parallels between our text this evening and what we've looked at previously. So, Bible's open. Let us now read 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Listen to this. It is God's word. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. As far God's holy and an errant word. Let's pray. Our God, as we come now to your word, we do ask that you would teach us, that you would show us what you would have us to do, that you would reveal to us uh, the glories of Christ, even in this warning against worldliness, against loving the world. We know that you've given us this scripture for our good, and so we ask that you would bless it to us and that we would profit from us. For your glory and honor we ask. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Children, can you think of a time when you might have seen a warning sign? A warning sign. Maybe you've seen a sign that warns you when you were walking along a sidewalk in, in a city and you came to a road that you were going to cross and 
There on the other side of the road, there's a special sign that tells you when to walk and when not to walk. It shows you a little figure of a walking man when it's safe for you to cross, but it it gives you a warning, a red hand that says stop to prevent you from walking. Or maybe you've seen yellow lights when your parents are driving. These are signs to warn drivers that the light is about to turn red, so they need to slow down and stop. If they don't, there could be danger from traffic coming the other way way. Maybe some of you have seen warning signs on uh, poisons or things like that, a skull and crossbones. It warns you, don't eat this. It's very bad for you. We've all seen warning signs. I think maybe a classic warning sign that uh, is in many uh, movies and things like that would would be a, a sign either for seriousness or even comedic effect that says bridge out. Now, what would you do if you were driving along the road and you saw a sign that says the bridge is out? Would you say, well, I'm having a good time driving right now. I'm enjoying myself. Things are great. I really like this road. So I'm going to ignore that sign and I'm just going to keep going. And of course not. That's foolishness. It's dangerous. The warning sign is there for a reason, and we would do very well to pay attention to it. Well, here this evening, the Apostle John gives us a warning, a warning sign in Scripture, a warning to us about something which is actually very dangerous for us. Worldliness, love of the world and the things of the world. You remember that John has been walking us through these these various signs, these evidences in in our own lives to uh, cause us to reflect and think, am I living the way God has called me to live? Am I walking in the light as God has called me to? Am I following after the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I loving the brethren? John's given us all these things to examine ourselves, and, and now he says, stop, pay attention. Here is something which is very important for you to think about. Something which is very important for you to, to avoid, to forsake. It's the love of the world. It's a warning. Here in these three verses, the apostle commands Christians to forsake worldliness because it's, it's anti-God and it cannot satisfy you dear Christian, are commanded to forsake worldliness because it's anti-God and it cannot satisfy you. John does this by giving us a command. We see that in verse 15. He does this by giving us an explanation of the command, what love of the world is, in verse 16. And he does this by giving us a reminder about worldliness, the things of the world, in verse 17. So that's how I would like for us to look at this passage this evening. Those three key things, a command, an explanation, and a reminder. By doing this, it will help us to understand this passage, and by God's grace will help us as we seek to forsake worldliness and follow closely after the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's then look at what 
The scripture says here, the command which John writes down for us in verse 15, do not love something. Look at verse 15. John writes there, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So John begins this text by issuing a command. Do not love. This is an imperative. A command. It's not a suggestion. He does not say to the Christian, maybe it would be good for you not to love the world. Or you could love the world half the time, but you need to make sure the other half of the time your life is really devoted to Jesus. No, he, he issues a very forward, uh, blatant, and explicit command, do not love. He says we're not to love two things. First, he says do not love the world. And second, he says do not love the things of this world. Now you might be asking yourself, why on earth would he tell us not to love the world? That doesn't make any sense to me. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Is John telling us that we're not supposed to love something which God loves? How does that make any sense? Well, I've spoken before about how the Greek language has multiple different words, uh, which we would translate all kind of in the same way in English. Unfortunately, Greek does not have multiple different words for the word world. It's all one word. But we can figure out what the writers of Scripture are doing, what the Holy Spirit is inspiring, by looking at the context of the use of the word world. Now, sometimes this word can mean the universe, everything which God has made, everything in creation. Uh, Sometimes it means specifically the planet Earth. Sometimes it means all nations. I think that's how how Jesus was using it in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He says, God loved the world, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. So the world can mean Jews and Gentiles, all nations of the Earth. Sometimes it can mean all people everywhere. Sometimes, however, and here in 1 John, it means the system of the world, uh, the culture, if you will. Man-centeredness. We are not to love the kingdom of man. It's opposed to God. It's opposed to the gospel. It's opposed to the church. So we are called here not to love it. And that can be somewhat of a difficult thing, can't it? Since we all live in this world. We live in a culture. It's all around us. John is calling us to something fairly radical. But it's so very important. It's important for the spiritual well-being of Christians. Remember the Lord Jesus' parable about the different soils and the seeds sown in those soils. Some seed fell among rocky 
soil. Some seed fell along a path. Some seed fell amongst soil where there were thorns. Some falls in good soil. Jesus explains to the disciples that the seed which fell in the thorny soil, that's the gospel going forth, and, and people jump up. They believe, they say, okay, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian. But then what do the thorns represent? It's the cares of the world which choke them out. John is warning us that this worldliness, which we are not to love, is a dangerous thing. We're not only supposed to not love the world, but we are also not to love the things in the world. That means uh, the things which this system, which this culture produces. Again, man-centeredness. Man-centered philosophy and thought. Those ideas which go forth and, and say, Man is, is the center of all things. He is the pinnacle of all things. Uh, we don't need God anymore. That's an outdated notion. Uh, we can be gods ourselves. This is a thought which has permeated man since the fall. It was the temptation of Satan when he came against Eve, wasn't it? Eat of this fruit and you will be like God system, the products of this world are dangerous and deadly and we are not to love them. We are to forsake them. Why? John clarifies that in the second half of verse 15. He gives us an if-then statement why this command is, is so important. He writes there, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John essentially says, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. You cannot love the world and God at the same time. If you love the world, if you set uh, the world, the culture, and the things of the world as your highest priority, as the first things in your life, those, those things which have all of your affection and attention, then you have misplaced those affections, those attentions. If the world and its things are, are where your desire lie, then you do not desire the true and living God. You don't desire the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of the Father is not in you. It says James writes, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's being an enemy of God. That's why this command is so important. It reminds us that placing anything in our lives as, as the pinnacle of our, our desires, uh, the pinnacle of our affections, the first things in our life, anything other than God is, is idolatry. And a Christian cannot, must not engage in idolatry. Now, John's command here as a warning does remind us that it is in fact possible for professing believers to fall into this trap. This is something which we must all be on guard against. And I pray that for all of us here this evening, we, we will grow to love the Lord so much that love of the world and things of the world fades so completely 
for us. John continues with an explanation of what the things of the world look like in more detail. An explanation for us so so that we might know uh, what particularly we must avoid or not partake in. Look at verse 16. He writes, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he speaks of three different things here. First, the desires of the flesh. Second, the desires of the eyes. And third, the pride of life. What is he talking about here? We know flesh has several different meanings in the scripture. Uh, Here, he really is talking about um, uh, sinful, uh, earthly, fleshly desires. Older translations might say lust. I think the ESV does a good job translating this desires because lust automatically has a negative connotation, but desires really gets it at what John is, is bringing out here. It's things which are inordinate. You see, we might have desires of the flesh which are not exactly wrong. Sometimes you get hungry, don't you? And you desire some food. And that's not wrong, but... The things of the world say, oh, you're hungry. At the expense of other people, at the expense of of your family, why don't you go out to eat and get the most expensive meal you can? Really enjoy yourself. Live it up. Place yourself first. You deserve it. You're number one. That's the desire of the flesh. Bodily appetites, a, a longing for luxury. And all the the good things in life. The desires of the flesh seek to appease the body by setting oneself up at the pinnacle. But John also says that the desires of the eyes are one of the the things of the world. Here he, he means covetousness. Basically looking around and saying, well, that looks really good. I'd. I should have one of those. Oh, there's a sports car over there. I, I really love that. So I'm going to do everything I can to get that so that everyone will love how good I look in that sports car. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a sports car, obviously. But there is something wrong with desiring that sports car so that everyone looks at you and praises you and talks about how cool you are because you have the best car in the parking lot. You're bringing all of the attention to yourself and and setting yourself up. And so it's covetousness, an inordinate desire for things, which also leads into uh, the last thing which John presents here, the pride of life. Pride of life. Uh, life here, meaning actually uh, the possessions of life, the things pertaining to existence, even. Property, position, possessions, what have you. And taking great pride in all of those things, saying, I'm better than everyone else. 
because I have these things. Well, everybody else should focus on me because I'm Dr. So-and-so or President So-and-so or the king. It's being proud of everything that you own and, and presenting it to everyone around you in the hopes that the culture, the people around you, all recognize you as being the greatest. These things are alluring, really. I mean, who doesn't want nice things in life? Who doesn't want good food? God has given us many great things to enjoy, but they are to be enjoyed in Christ. Not, not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God. Whatever we do, whether we eat and drink, we are supposed to do it to the glory of God. But these things of the world tell us, now do it all for your own glory. It's like the light on an angler fish. Children, do you know what an angler fish is? It's, it's a fish that eats smaller fish, but the way that he lures them in is he has this antenna with a light on the end of it. And the little fish see it and they think, well, that looks really cool. Maybe that's food. Maybe that's something special. So they swim towards it. And by the time they realize that that thing which they wanted so much is not something which they can eat, not something which will benefit from them, all of a sudden, snap, the anglerfish got them. The things of the world are a trap like that. They might look nice to us. They might promise joy and, and pleasure. But at the end, the things of the world are deadly, like the mouth of, of an anglerfish. We know that they are deadly because of what John says next in this explanation, the second half of verse 16. He says that all of these things are not from the Father. They are from the world. So this statement here reiterates that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is anti-God. It's against God. It, it's idolatry, as I said earlier. It's idolatry of the self. It's idolatry of one's possessions. It's idolatry of, of position, of the belly, of whatever. But it's idolatry, and it doesn't come from God because God is not the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. And so if we say, I want these things, we're saying, I want something which has nothing to do with God. These inordinate desires and attitudes are anti-God, anti-Christ. And we must, must not have anything to do with him. That is John's warning. And that's his explanation of why he's warning us 
but he also gives us a reminder. In verse 17, it's a very practical reminder, even. And a very good one for Christians to take notice of. Look at verse 17. John writes there, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. John reminds us this world and the things of the world, all of these things which which men desire so greatly and, and seek to acquire and use to promote themselves, at the end will disappear. He reminds us that the world and its things are temporary. He writes here, the world is passing away. So this system of the world, the culture of the world, this kingdom of man, which sets itself in opposition against the Lord and his Messiah, as Psalm 2 talks about, is also that same system, that same kingdom, which the Father place as the footstool of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Psalm 110, that great messianic psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The world is passing away because Jesus is king. Because he came to this earth and his kingdom is inaugurated and the gospel is going forth into all of the world. And God is saving people. People hear the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for them and died upon the cross for them and was buried and was raised for their justification. And so if they trust in him, they have eternal life. People hear that message and and they believe the message and the kingdom of God grows and grows. And though At this point in time, it looks as though the kingdom of man, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness is is progressing and expanding. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He rules and reigns. So this kingdom of man, though perhaps at times it grows and looks like it might stamp out the kingdom of Christ. It will not. It's passing away. The Lord Jesus Christ is king really and truly and he will come again and his enemies will be his footstool and they will all be put away and the kingdom of the world will pass away and the desires of the world pass away as well and that's why Christ reminded us in Matthew 6 not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth, but rather to store up treasure in heaven. The things of this world, which men collect and use to promote themselves, are destroyed. Moth and rust destroy earthly things, or thieves break in and steal them. But... But the treasure which we have in heaven, 
the blessings which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the blessings in the heavenly places, the Holy Spirit, the inheritance which we have been sealed for, these things are eternal and do not pass away. And that's what John reminds us of in the second half of verse 17. He says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. He reminds us that that we who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who love the brethren, who are growing in sanctification, we abide forever. That's what he means by the will of God. Throughout scripture, speaks of God's will and it tells us various things which are God's will. One of those things is that we would have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All men everywhere are commanded, leave in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in 1 John that we should trust in Christ. We're told in 1 John that we ought to love one another. The brethren, this is God's will. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we're told that we are to grow in our sanctification. All of these things are God's will. All of these things are marks of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are trusting in him, who look to him alone for salvation. These are abiding. Now, presently. I love how often John uses the present tense. And it's not always translated well in our Bibles. Abides forever is essentially the present tense, but I think is abiding might be slightly more helpful. Whoever does the will of God, whoever is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, is abiding forever right now. Eternal life does not begin when you die on this earth and you go into the presence of of God. Eternal life begins as soon as you are born again, as soon as the Holy Spirit comes and makes you alive in Christ. This ought to really stir us up and give us great joy and hope in Christ. We're not waiting around for eternal life. It's been given to us now and, and so we now may live our lives to the glory of God, imperfect as it may be, yet still what we do now is is glorifying to the Lord because of Christ. This is an amazing reminder for us which ought to help us as we seek to forsake worldliness. We've been called, commanded, to forsake worldliness. In closing, I think maybe we should consider some practical ways to do that, some questions which we ought to ask ourselves. Does forsaking worldliness, does not loving the world mean abandoning culture? Does it mean becoming a monk or a hermit? Should we go establish a Carlisle Reformed Presbyterian farm out uh, in the middle of nowhere and, and live our lives uh, like the Amish do? No. That is not what it means to not love the world. And as tempting as that may be sometimes as we look at the world around us, we are called to be salt and light in this world. And so we must live uh, amongst uh, the peoples of this world. But being said, I think we ought to ask some some 
examining questions and some piercing questions of ourselves, we ought to be asking ourselves, do I love the world? Is there some part of my heart which is being drawn off to worldly things? Do I love the desires of my flesh or the beautiful things which I see, my possessions more than I love Christ? We ought to really consider that and repent if that is the case. If the things of earth delight us, if we are inclined to the things of this world, then I would exhort you, stop. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the solution. If you feel yourself uh, being drawn towards worldliness, if you feel yourself loving the world more, repent, cry out to God, ask him to give you greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And begin thinking more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Meditate on the things which he has done. Read the scriptures, search them out. Cry out to him. Follow after him. You cannot do it in your own strength, but he can and will give you strength because that is the will of God, your sanctification. Young people especially, I would like to encourage and exhort you not to let love of the world be a draw to you now. I think it is a particular temptation of, of young people, at least maybe of young men, um, from my own personal experience, that there can be a tendency to say, well, I'm young, I think I'm going to enjoy life now, and I'll serve Jesus with my whole heart later. That's as foolish as driving through a red light, walking through a crosswalk when cars are whizzing past you, or ignoring a sign that says the bridge is out in front of you. Don't fall into that foolish trap. Determine now to spend these, these years of, of your youth in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. The joys of this world are passing away. They will not bring you any lasting satisfaction Moth and rust, thieves, time, decay, all of these things will destroy possessions of the world, things of the world. Lay up treasure in heaven, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him is true and lasting joy. A word of encouragement to older saints who perhaps did squander years of youth. The Lord speaks in, in Joel about restoring the years which the locusts have eaten. And he does that. Perhaps you spent years of your life not in service to Christ. Take heart and spend the rest of the years of your life in service to Christ. Follow closely after him. Trust in him. Endeavor to live a life of holiness unto him. Now, maybe this looks different.
for each and every one of us. And I think it should. There's no one-size-fits-all plan, I don't think. can't say, well, get rid of all secular music, only listen to hymns, only read your Bible, and you can only watch G-rated movies. Again, it might be nice to have a formula like that. But I would encourage you, be in prayerful thought when it comes to what you consume media-wise and, and, and other things. Don't have to necessarily eschew all of that, but you should be thoughtful and consider whether or not those things are worldly things which are drawing you away from Christ. And if they are, get rid of them. And set your mind on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. Be about the work which God has called you to do with prayerfulness, with study and meditation on the scriptures so that you will know those things which you ought to do and how you can glorify God. And through all of that, look to the Lord Jesus Christ for your help in those times and the one who will protect you and preserve your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, we have seen from your word this command not to love the world. We do confess to you, Lord, that oft times it can be a hard command to obey that things of the world do present themselves to us in uh, much uh, desirability. We are oft times like Eve looking at sinful things and saying, well, it is pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise and looks good to us, but Lord, you know that those things are devastating and destructive. Help us, Lord, to forsake worldliness. Protect us. Give us wisdom so that we may know uh, what we ought to do away with, uh, what might be distracting us from your service, what might be harming us spiritually so we might get rid of it and be better Uh, more faithful servants of yours. We pray that you would do this for our good and your glory, even as you do all things. We ask in Christ's name, amen.